Welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. All right, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Clean Tech Talk. This is actually the first podcast in a series of podcasts that we're doing with my good friends at Accelerate Auto. And uh, today I'm here with Milad Davuti, which I know is not how you're supposed to say it, but that's that what good. we're going with. That was great. <laughs> great to be here. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> Milad, we've been having a great time talking before the show. We, we've been getting to know each other a little bit as, as we prep for this. For for the people who haven't been following along, there's a lot of listeners who don't read the uh, you know who don't read the website. They don't read the news feeds. Can you explain a little bit not only who Accelerate is, but who you are in reference to Accelerate? Yeah. So let me just. I guess start with my background and we'll lead up to Accelerate. So I've been in the EV space since 2011, right? So 12 plus years, I guess, at this point. I started Tesla. I started working for Tesla at a super early stage. I was the first employee hired in the state of Texas, actually. Wow. Uh, back in, yeah, back in 2011. So I helped open the third retail location. This was like the gallery locations that, that originally, uh, that we were kind of expanding into like malls, high foot traffic areas, kind of high dollar zip codes and stuff like that. First one was in Santana Row, California. Second one was in Park Meadows, Colorado. And the third one was in the Houston Gallery. So I was part of that first team and kind of helped open all the different other locations in Texas. Even did some cool stuff like helping the Boston location, did uh, first deliveries out in Canada. So this was end of 2011. So we were still selling roadsters, right? Model S didn't really exist quite yet. Right. First Model S I ever drove was the Alpha Model S before. In fact, I mean, well, they can't see this, but the picture in my background is actually the first, like, it's like the very first time I saw like four Model S's at the same same time. But it was it was a cool experience, right? So I was employed like 653 or something like that originally. And then in 2014, I helped uh, joined up with a couple of guys who were doing something that was really, really cool. That was kind of right up my alley as well. Uh, which I helped start the the trade-in and the used vehicle operation for Tesla. So we were doing like non-Tesla trades, Tesla trades, also creating uh, what a used vehicle sales program would be. How do we refurbish these cars? Where do, how do we move these vehicles? Kind of the whole entire plethora of different operations, but everything, A to Z, right? Everything direct. And we, were, we actually built the playbook for how a manufacturer buys and sells used cars because no one else did that, right? And That's right. Knowledge, you guys no were one the else first ones that. to do that. First and... Yeah, I guess not first and only because anymore, I guess Rivian, they don't sell any used cars quite yet, but they probably facilitate trades or something like that. But yes, we were the first first people to do that. So we quite literally created the playbook, right? It did not exist. And then and then and I would do that all over the world. I expand that to kind of all the markets, to Europe and to Asia, kind of dabbled in new market entry in a little bit. But then after in 2018, I left and I joined up with our co-founder and CEO, KJ, who someone I would work with for actually a long time. I was just... We worked, he was on the outside, I was on the inside. So Accelerate kind of, and KJ uh, helped us facilitate some of the very first leases as a whole, I guess, Tesla. Before we had a leasing program, before we could do any of that type of stuff, KJ actually jumped in and, and, and helped us. And he was in Texas, so we had a lot of contact with one another. In fact, I bought a car from KJ in 2013, personally, and it was a very, it was like a dream come true car. It was my Corvette Z06, which at the time... Nice. 
Yeah. I mean, I was a Tesla guy driving a seven liter V8 that was like heavily modified. Which yeah, yeah. Was it a C5 Z06? C6 Z06. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. I was a C5 guy. I really liked the C5. Nice. So yeah, my in- buddy had one. Yeah. Interesting side note. When I was uh, doing some interning work with GM and working at Mosler Automotive, we were doing a lot of development work, you know, with Rod Trenet and those guys on the C5 Corvette. And I was early, early on the C5 Corvette was losing oil pressure in hard corners, especially like with Morrison. And at that point, it was John Heinrichsey that was driving those cars in SCCA. And we did was called Pan Mission One. And we helped develop the baffles inside the uh, the engine the engine oil mm-hmm. pan, and uh, I still have the T-shirt from Pan Mission One. You want to talk about being a hoarder? That thing's twenty plus years old now. <laughs> you still wear it? I don't think I still fit in it, my brother. But I appreciate the vote of confidence. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Well, I guess that's why kind of the reason why in the C6 they made the dry stop motors, right? They so did. I, that's exactly solved. It solved that problem. That's yeah. exactly why. That's exactly why. But I think this speaks to a love of all things automotive, right? Where and and this is a perfect segue. And this was totally unplanned. Which you know, for those of you <laughs> listening to this, I know you'll find that quite a shocker. But this was totally unplanned. But it's a perfect segue for what we want to talk about today, which is the fact that there are so many. I don't want to call them myths because myths and legends have a grounding in reality. You know, the ancients saw the thunder and they saw the Milky Way and the Aurora Borealis and they used myth as a way to explain the truth that they were seeing. There's not a lot of EV myths out there that are based on truth. Most of them are just uh, bull poop. Right. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways. Right. I mean, people talk about myths. Right. People just want answers and yes. sometimes the questions are too complicated where maybe the answers are way too complicated where the normal person simply can't really the wrap their head around it uh, so they depend on information that's given to them and oftentimes the information that's given to them could have bias right or lean one way or the other but ultimately people just want to know just basic level of answers and in this realm of things as an automotive person right and who Put, I mean, I put my chips in the EV side really early on, right? Yeah. And and I, I never took them out, right? And I uh, and I will never because I got into it for performance. It was literally I got into the EV side because of just performance. It wasn't environmental. It wasn't sustainability. In fact, in Texas, <laughs> believe it or not, in Houston, Texas, not a whole lot of people cared about the environmental aspect. Yeah, but still we don't. It still don't, right? But we sold. Texas was the second largest market for Tesla. Once, you know, once we started delivering Model S in large numbers, and even I think today it's either second or third, still should be. And the reason being is because, you know, early on, we told people, sell the performance, right? Sell the cool factor, right? Don't, don't sell the environmental aspect, right? Because some of these people kind of, if you're working oil and gas, you start going away from the product when you start talking about that, right? But if you talk about performance, you're getting them really interested because these are, these are car people, right? They love high-powered vehicles. But yeah, a lot of, lot of information out there. People just want the basic, well, the how and the what, right? The how they, and no the longer, they no longer want the why. Early adopters wanted the why. I think now people are still asking the same questions. They want the how or the what. Yeah, I agree with that statement. And I think we're getting to the point where EVs are reaching 
I don't want to say a mainstream market yet because I think we're still in the early adopter stage, but we're past the evangelical stage. We're past the people who are buying this for a mission and they're buying it. And, and I, I'm not saying a mission like emissions, carbon emissions. I'm saying they are on a mission. You know, I'll play the right. clip from Blues Brothers with I'm on a mission <laughs> from God, you know, <laughs> but this is really what people are doing now is they're buying it because a, they can afford it, and B, they find it to be a better, superior experience to a traditional internal combustion vehicle. And, and going back to the Corvettes, you and I are both enthusiasts. It sounds like we've both be been behind the wheel of a number of uh, GM's finest vehicles there. And I love driving Corvettes. In fact, if you go the uh, the old Dave McClellan book, All Corvettes Are Red, there's two or three pictures of yep. me in that book. Nice. So, like, yeah, it's awesome. So I, I, I'm, I'm a fan. And very similarly coming from the drag racing world, the motorsports world coming with, you know, an IMSA background and things like that, as I did when I first experienced a Tesla, it was at Michigan's Milan dragway in 2012. And we had a customer that was a guy we, I was working at a speed shop. We were making cars go fast. He pulled up in his model S he had his daughter and his dog in the back seat and was like, Hey, we're going to go take this thing down the track. We'll let you know how it goes. And he ripped off like a 12.7 with the air conditioner yeah. going, his kid and the dog in the car. And it was like no big deal. And he waved us off and went home. And we all sat in that trailer and put our heads in our hands because we were like, this is it. It's over. How? Yeah. Like, how, how is this even possible? Right. Well, how are you going to make a living? And and keep in mind, and you know, even going into like 2000, the mid 2000s and 2010s, the aughts, right? Right. You had an entire multi-billion dollar industry that was surrounded around getting cars to go fast. You had, you know, the one that I always remember, the line that always sticks out to me from the first Fast and Furious movie is you owe me a 10 second car. Right. I can go buy a handful of 10 second cars right off the showroom floor. Yeah. That's what 2023, 2024 is. So. Hello, clean tech enthusiasts. If you enjoy clean tech talk and clean technica, please consider pitching in a few dollars a month at cleantechnica.com slash support. That's cleantechnica.com slash support where you can sign up in seconds with a credit card, pitch in a few dollars a month or whatever you like. Some people actually contribute a hundred dollars a month to help us cover climate change and clean tech and try to help the world one word at a time. Thank you. Let's talk about that. The first BS thing that we have to overcome if we're going to get mass market appeal into EVs is the idea that electric vehicles are not exciting. Electric vehicles are not fast. And I think in, in and I'll give credit where credit's due. I think because of the work Tesla did early on, nobody thinks electric vehicles are slow anymore. Yeah, I think that's the general consensus nowadays. I, I think most people understand that they're they're fast, right? They're quick, at least, right? I think some yes. of the naysayers will probably still be like, well, it's not fast, mm -hmm. but it's quick, right? Now, for most people, I mean, even actually, there was a roundtable discussion with like Christian Konigseg, Mate Rimats, John Hennessy, and they, they're having a, a roundtable discussion. And it was actually Christian Konigseg that was talking about, it's like, well, one of the questions, well, how, you know, how, where do we go from here? Right. You know, and now these top speeds of these cars are insane. And John Hennessy, the, the Texas, the Texas guy himself is like, Oh, just go more. Right. Just keep going more. And Christian was like, I mean, why? Right. We don't even have roads where anyone can actually drive that. Anymore, right. So it's not yeah. about top speed anymore. 
it's about driving dynamics. It's about everything else. Right. And, and I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Right. Like, so my story about how I got into EVs was actually very similar to yours. I was at John Hennessy's track. It was in Sealy, Texas, because that's where I grew up in West Side of Houston. And I wasn't too far from there. I was building motors since I was like 15, right? I've been building engines since I was like about 15. <laughs> about 15 and all I cared about was performance. How fast can this possibly go? What's the power output? You know, I don't care what it ran on. It could be diesel. It could be ethanol. It could be, no, petroleum, it could be baby whatever. seal blood. Nobody cares. Right. It could be, yeah, leprechaun piss. Who cares? But there was a guy who showed up in a roadster. This is like 2010. And there was a guy who showed up in a roadster and uh, I was one of the youngest people around there at the time. And he like, I, I knew a lot about it because I was also building computers. So I was building computers and cars kind of at the same time. And this, this merged a lot of the two similar things together. And I was like, okay, I have a rudimentary understanding of like electrical engineering, but I also understand mechanical engineering. And it's like, okay, well, let's, uh, I, I knew a lot about this guy gave me a ride, blew my mind, right? Yeah. He accelerated. And at that moment I realized there's no way. I can make a gas engine do this. This is just not scientifically possible. The physics aren't behind it. And at that point, that's when I started looking really seriously at electric powertrains, electric motors, even like connected with people at NEDRA, the National Electric Drag Racing, Asso uh, Drag Racing Association. Oh, back like in the white lightning those... days. The early yeah, exactly. Days. White lightning. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Those like four second cars <laughs> that were just like zooming down and like all these guys were doing is you know i, I and it was it was funny for them i was like well, how far do these go they're like who cares as long as it goes down and back in a quarter mile a couple of times yeah, it only has to go <laughs> a quarter of a mile dude relax <laughs> so but it was really cool to understand a lot of that and learn a lot of that because that's when i realized i was like this is phase one where are we going from here is one no and that's such a good way of putting it because i still think that one of the biggest problems that we have as EV evangelists as people who want the mainstream drivers to adopt EVs is this idea that this is as good as it gets that maybe you're you know like oh well you know it takes four hours to charge an EV so that's how long it takes forever it's like no by the time the car rolls out on the line that takes four hours to charge there's one behind it getting ready to come out next year that takes two hours to charge. And that right. has happened just about every year since the first Model S came out. And now we're at the point where, you know, cattle, and I know that's not what they're called, they're CATL, but I always say cattle. Cattle has now a C5 battery. It's a 120 kilowatt battery pack that will charge from zero to 80% or right near zero to 80% in 12 minutes and that's 250 that's miles of range in less than 15 minutes so we are now getting to the point where it takes about as much time to fill up quote unquote fill up your ev with electrons as it does to fill up your internal combustion car right with gas you know if you stop on a highway rest stop you plug into a supercharger you go in you use the facilities you get a drink at the convenience store, you get back out to your car, that's 15 minutes and you've got 250 miles of range. If you do that in an internal combustion car, you're still standing at the pump for five, 10 minutes, assuming there's an open pump when you get there. And then you're still going to the facilities. You're still going into the convenience store. So now we're at the point where that actually takes longer than charging. Yeah. Especially at certain locations, like for all you listeners out there who live in Texas, Bucky's and it really who haven't. I, mean, I think a lot of people know Bucky's at this point, or at least maybe have heard of them. But they're known for having you know 150, 200 like gas gas pumps at at every one of their facilities. 
how I describe it, it's it's America under one roof in a, in, so in a lot of ways. <laughs> in a lot of ways, right? <laughs> it's like some of the best barbecue you've ever had. I mean, it's just it's like so all good. kinds. It's like, amazing. If you don't know what Bucky's is, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, first of all, you probably have much lower cholesterol than I do. <laughs> but you need to find out what Bucky's is. You're Definitely, missing out. This is like, it's like a destination point. But- you know, I remember because like going to Bucky's, it's like a whole thing, right? First of all, you don't go to Bucky's and don't go inside. That's like sacrilegious, right? You, you know, no, no one, no one does that. It's wrong. It's like get the hell out of here. Don't even go, right? Go don't punk gas somewhere else. <laughs> but, but it's so crowded there that you go, you wait for a pump, you pump up, you don't, you feel bad about leaving your car there because the amount of time it's gonna take you to go inside, use the bathroom, buy some stuff, and come out. You're just creating a huge line. So you pump up your gas, then you go park. Then you go inside and then you use the cleanest restrooms in the country, have some amazing barbecue, buy your snacks and then leave. And I've timed this when I drive gas cars through Bucky's, it takes longer than now using the superchargers there. That's it. Because the superchargers, I don't wait in line. I plug in, go in, leave. I'm already done charging by the time I'm back to my car. That's right. It's actually shorter. Right. And like, yeah, you you make an excellent point there. So I want to add to this, right? So I think that the people who've experienced EVs, especially with Tesla and supercharging and, uh, you know, the, the ultra high, you know, like uh, the Hyundai Ionics, uh, right. the new Ionic five and six that charge at 300 plus kilowatts. So it's, uh, you know, it's super fast charging or whatever they call it in Electrify America. It's like ultra, super hyper wonkus right. fast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, they have Somebody some trademark me. name. Yeah, well, but they have ultra fast and hyper fast, but I never know which one it is because it's terrible branding. <laughs> but that would the mega, it, the, they don't have the mega mega fast yet is that no, that, that's coming that's when they go to the 800 volt architecture then they'll have the uh, ultra mega fast <laughs> then they'll have fast zilla which is like a, a thousand watt it's such terrible branding right because like why don't you just say level four or level five <laughs> right. doesn't that make much more sense yeah way to overcomplicate yeah, <laughs> way to overcomplicate stuff it's like but Let's confuse you because half the time it doesn't even work, right? And like well, but this goes, but this speaks to the next problem. And this is like the next problem with EV charging and with living, because this is ultimately all about living with EVs. How do you make right. an EV fit within your life? There is a tremendous amount of confusion among how fast vehicles can charge. Because if you say level one charging is 110 level two charging is 240 level three charging is dc current so it's 50 kilowatts and above right there is a huge difference between plugging in a little kia soul ev at 50 kilowatts or a chevy volt at 150 and plugging in you know a tesla a modern tesla you know like the new model 3 highland that charges at 350 or a hyundai ionic 5 that charges at 300, you know, there's a huge difference there. And we're talking a difference of hours. Yeah. And they're both being called level three. So if I'm a person, a general, uh, let's say a normie, if I'm a normal and I'm not a car person, I'm not an automotive person. I'm not a tech person. Right. And my neighbor has a Chevy bolt that they just bought and they say, Hey, listen, that's a brand new 2023 Chevy bolt. How long does it take you to charge? And they say, Oh yeah, it takes me about 90 minutes to get a full charge. I think in my head, well, this is a brand new EV. It takes 90 minutes to charge them. That couldn't be further from the truth. There is a there is so much difference out there 
in terms of what fast charging is that I think there needs to be some more differentiation at the top, but I'll, I'll leave that to you. How do you think we can accomplish but, some of that? But you can't overcomplicate it. Right. So I think right. th- th- there's a, there's a big, no- there's a big like uh, knowledge gap in, and there, I think this gap is almost, it, it, it's not going to be achievable to hundred percent of the population. Like I think most people probably don't even understand the difference between low grade and mid uh, grade and high grade gas. Like I, I really don't. Right? <laughs> they don't know I, what I, octane it, is. They don't know what octane <laughs> is. Right. So like, are we going to go sit here and talk about like uh, at what point is like the, uh, the burning level and the combustion, the combustion point based on the octane amount of uh, that's in the fuel. Like, no, what is ethanol? And, you know, do I need ethanol free? Like, this is most people don't even understand any of that stuff. Right. So like, I think there definitely needs to be more like standardization because a lot of the people that I speak to, it's, and and, and also speak in more reality, right? When people ask, well, it's like, where are all the different charging stations? I don't want to show them a map of level two because that's not, that's not going to be helpful. Right. And I've been speaking to more and more people these days where I'm just being incredibly honest with individuals and I'm not lying to them. And and I feel like when you lie to them and someone, and I've, I've talked to so many people that are in this scenario where I literally just the other day, someone pulls up in a Kia Nero EV at a Tesla supercharger asking me how to plug in, how to charge the, their car. And like, do you, and I had to tell them, I'm like, I'm, we're in the middle of, I was driving to New Orleans from, from Austin. I was like, I, I don't even know where the, another like electrify America station is. I like tried to help this person and it was very complicated and they were just really disappointed in the whole entire scenario. Do you think that person is going to go buy another EV after this? Right. Well, and and the answer is probably not because someone didn't tell them the truth. And like and we need to be able to at least kind of reason with people. a little bit. And I think the more we reason with them, I think the more that people are a little more open minded about what this is like, you know, telling someone, hey, the only time I'm ever charging publicly is if I'm leaving home indefinitely. <laughs> That's it. Right. And now I've also ha- owned an EV for three years where I didn't even have home charging. Right. And like, how did I do that? Yeah, well, that's a great point because, and I've made this comment before, and I, I you know, it, this is kind of a disingenuous comment, but it it sums up the way that I feel about it. My father-in-law is looking for a new vehicle. He's in his seventies. I always talk about, look, if it's too complicated for him, it's too complicated for most Americans because most people who are spending money on newer cars are guys my age and up. They're in, you know, they're 50, 60, whatever it is, right? So if they can't understand it, it ain't going to work. So I had this conversation with him and he said, well, I'm concerned because I live in a condo. I'm not going to be able to put a fast charger in my condo. And I said to him, well, wait a minute. You don't have a gas station in your condo, but you still drive a gas car. And he just kind of looked at me like I had nine heads. And I said, no, no, think about it. When do you go get gas? You don't drive too much. You you drive five, six thousand miles a year, a retired guy. What? When do you get gas? He goes, oh, you know, usually when I drive around and I need gas. Okay. But like, you don't just leave the house to get gas. He goes, no. Okay. I'm going to Target and I'll go to gas station on the way. I'm going to the grocery store. I'll go to a gas station on the way. I'm like, great. Grocery store that you go to, he happens to go to Whole Foods because he can afford it. Right. Charting stations. Yeah, exactly. Just go plug it in, do your shopping. And when you come out, it's going to be full. When you go to Target to do Christmas shopping for the kids or, or buy the stuff you need for the house, plug it in. When you come back out, it's going to be full. Yeah. You know, and that is one of those things that blows people's mind is like, oh, I don't have to have the charging at home. 
And I think the early adopters pushed that charging at home so hard that now it's gone the other way. And people think that if they can't charge at home, they can't use an EV. And that's, you know, that's another kind of uh, BS response, right? Yeah, it is. Because like, you know, as long as you have something, I think if you just think about this, right? And and this is what I try to reason with people. Are you driving your car in more hours of the day than it's parked or vice versa? Right. And it's like, well, the car's parked for most of the day. And then the question is where? Right. And then it's like, okay, well, it's work. The number one answer is usually work, right? Because the yeah. only answer at home is work. It's like, okay, well, this is where a lot of people job, a lot of people were uh, now are they're getting uh, um, uh, chargers at, at work, right? So this is becoming more prevalent, more prevalent. And actually, more often than not, I'm speaking to people, even here in Texas, that are like, oh, yeah, we have those chargers at work. And I was like, boom, well, there you go. Then you don't really need anything at home. Right. And then also superchargers, right? At least with superchargers. I think an Electrify America is kind of the wild card here. And I think in a couple of years, as other other non-Tesla EVs can start utilizing the Tesla network, that's where it's like, hey, you know, just stop here for 10, 15 minutes every every once in a while, right? Like maybe once a week. Because how often, unless you're taking a road trip, how often are you driving 300 miles? Right. And like or 320 miles. And most people have less than a 20 mile commute or at least less than a 30 mile commute. So yeah, absolutely. You know, it, so the math always plays out. It's just kind of just talking about range and opportunity, right? And at least when I'm on road trips, what the one of the best parts about driving an electric vehicle exclusively for road trips, is I only take road trips and EVs now, is because I have I know where I'm stopping them, which in this case is Bucky's, but I always <laughs> <laughs> I always know where I'm stopping every single time. Well, like, it's never a with guess. Texas. No, the problem with Texas is you could drive in any direction for two days and you're still in Texas. You're still in Texas. Right. You can drive hundreds of miles. And I drive. So my family is out in Houston. I'm in Austin. So my family's out in Houston. So we're going out to Houston all the time. Our, our headquarters is in Dallas. Right. So I'm going up to Dallas pretty frequently. Each look, you know, each direction where I'm going is at least a couple hundred miles, right? And I'm speeding. I'm not, you know, well, maybe I'm not by the law. I don't know who's whoever's listening. Uh, but I'm going Texas speed, 80, 85, 90 miles an hour, right? And those are kilometers. Don't worry about that. <laughs> o- Officer Barbrady, if you're listening to this, he's he means kilometers. He's, he looks right. foreign. Just uh, forgive him on that one. But, you know, it's and so I'm, I'm draining more. You know, I, I, I don't sacrifice my speed to get where I want get where I need to go, but at least it's, it's all pre-planned. So, I, you know, I, I try, I try not unless it's like a dire emergency, I'm not stopping unless I absolutely have to. And I know I already know where I'm stopping every single time. I'll say this in 2018, after I left Tesla, the very first thing that I did, I was one of the very first employees to have a uh, model three. So I was like, I think it was first 50 or first hundred people to have a model three. I just got up and drove down to Texas from Chicago. Yeah. I didn't do any planning. I didn't look to see if there was charging stations anywhere. I just said, screw it. I'm just going to get up and go. And that's quite literally what I did. On the way back, I tried, I took country roads just to see if, how much more difficult it was. And honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't hard at all. It was very easy. And, and, and like, and with autopilot, oh my God. Talking about driving for many, many hours without feeling fatigued or tired and just being like ready to go when you get to your destination. That was a night and day difference, right? Yeah. So, and so there's all these little tiny kind of anecdotes that I think are very pleasurable to most people. But I will say that at least let's talk about the trucks because that's what's in the news right now. That's what's right? in the news right now. So we're gonna okay. I I hesitate here because 
there's not enough information out there, at least publicly yeah. consumable. Now, you have a different relationship with Tesla. You may know more than I do, but at least out in the public space, there's not enough information about the Tesla Cybertrucks to really draw hard conclusions about how these are going to handle you know, road trips sure. and things like that. So I am a little bit hesitant to discuss this. However, comma, I would imagine that sitting up higher, being a little bit more in that in a seat rather or in a chair rather than a seat, I think it's going to be a great road trip vehicle. Oh, yeah. I mean, I imagine it's going to be a real. Honestly, I think Tesla's in general are the best road trip vehicles just because you have autopilot. Like that, that, that is a huge game changer. And I imagine being. I mean, road tripping in trucks are always way more comfortable anyway, because you do feel a little more dominant on the road. You have that higher elevation. You feel like nothing, especially if you're in a cyber truck, nothing can penetrate me, right? <laughs> like I'm, I am ultimate level of safety. I think the question comes down to, and I don't think cyber truck's going to have much of this issue because I really don't believe like hardcore truck people are looking at the cyber truck as their solution for construction jobs or for, you know, like pe people that regularly tow for long distances and stuff like that. Like, I think that's where the difference was. I was actually in, I was in Michigan a few weeks ago and I was having a conversation with someone who is a huge truck person, right. And long, long distance hauler. And he asked, and he asked me, he's like, is this real? Right. Like, is this like legitimate? Can I actually buy an EV truck and haul a few thousand pounds for long distances? And I couldn't really lie to him. Right. I was like, you know, right now, probably not the best bet. Right. Like if you get it, because you we were talking about a Ford Lightning at the time. It's like, you know, if you get a Ford Lightning, say you tow six, six, seven, six, seven thousand pounds, you're going 120 miles or something. Like that's not very long distance. And then where how you charge up, it's really complicated. Cause you gotta like put the, you gotta take the trailer off. You gotta <laughs> take your car and go plug it in. It, it's not the best experience right now, but I think once these ranges, you know, with the Cybertruck extended range extender with the Silverado EV, even where you're talking mid 400 range without any sort of payload or without any sort of towing, uh, towing service that you have. Now you're getting two or 300 miles on a charge with towing capacity. Well, that that's different. Right now we're talking about, okay, well, this, that actually makes a lot, a lot more sense. And I think that serves actually at least a larger chunk of people, right? Yeah. I, um, I have a good friend of mine who lives in Texas. He's a hardcore truck guy and he's got a ranch house that's 200 miles away and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Right. And I, uh, and his first, it was like, well, I got, you know, I, what am I going to do when I go out to the ranch? I can't get there and back. I was like, put a 240 outlet there. Can you, uh, and he's like, well, how do I do that? I was like, well, do you have a welding machine there somewhere? He's like, yeah. There you go. There you, you go. go. 240. Right. Right. <laughs> I, was I was waiting for you to stop talking because I was going to say, he's got a ranch. He's got a welder out there. He's he got a welder. thing right in. It's going to yeah. be fine. Like, You're already done, right? You already have it. Right? Well, but let's talk about it. this for a second because you bring up a really good point. You know, we talk about the towing being a limitation on the pickup trucks. It is to a point. It's It's a problem if you're trying to tow something heavy somewhere and back on the same day. But let's right. look at a market that really can handle this. And let's talk about RVers. If you're pulling an RV, you're typically going from campground, KOA campground to another KOA campground. And right. when you get there, you're going to plug that RV in to 200 to 240. Exactly. Yeah. On a 50 amp. So it's going to be in a matter of hours, it's going to be charged. 
right? Yeah. And you're going to, and you don't even have to do much now because the new setups that they have, especially like Airstream, you plug in the Airstream and it feeds the truck. It's yeah. already set up for that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that we are, and again, you know, we talked about this in the beginning where myth is something that people who don't have science and who don't have data Myth is a way that they try to understand the world around them. This isn't myth. This is propaganda. This is BS. This is people who have not studied this because you will see a lot of propaganda, a lot of, maybe that's wrong because propaganda implies bias, but you'll see a lot of stories out there saying, how could you buy an RV? You know, how could you be in a full-time RV or and buy an electric truck? It's like, oh, that's kind of an ideal use case. Because nobody is hooking up their RV and towing it 400 or 500 miles in a day because that's exhausting. Yeah, that's terrible. It's a terrible experience. You're going campground it's, to campground. You're going, you're going campground, campground. And you're going campground to campground. In fact, at early days of Tesla, before we had superchargers, when I was driving Model S from Houston to Dallas, we did stop at campgrounds because that was the place that we could actually charge up the car. Right? That's it. Prior to the world of superchargers, <laughs> we really didn't have to do that. And it, it always it always made sense, right? So the writing was always on the wall for, for those types of uh, for those types of individuals. It really comes down to what are you trying to use the car for, right? Yes. I remember when when we were at, at the store early early days, and people people would say, "Well, this doesn't work." It, it, talking about Model S, I was like, "Well, this doesn't work because I have to, you know, I got I got kids like soccer practice or something like that. I got to take them out once every once every season." I was like, "So do you have a minivan?" Like, no. I was like, so are you trying to buy a minivan? It's like, no, I'm not. I was like, okay, so then I don't understand, right? So like (laughs) the use case, the one single use case that you have is a reason why you won't buy this, but even though you don't have anything to serve that, right? And so it's like, well, wouldn't you just like rent a car for that one situation that you're doing once every year or two or something like that, rather than investing in a vehicle that you're never, you know, you're not going to use it for that every single day. So it really comes down to be honest about how are you using the application? What are you using the vehicle for? I mean, for most, the vast majority of people, I think for the consumer vehicle world, I think it already kind of makes sense. However, I think, you know, although we're at say eight to 10% new vehicle registration being EVs, the the people asking questions today, the questions about kind of everything that we're discussing right now, the the, the questions that are asking today are the same questions people were asking 10, 12 years ago. It's, yes. It is no different, right? Now, the our environment is totally different, right? So now we have a robust network of superchargers where you can literally go from top tier Canada all the way down to the southern part of Mexico, right? I wouldn't recommend driving through Mexico, but like, you know, that's the situation that you can pop, you know, potentially if you wanted to do it. Just don't. There's certain areas in the the, the, the upper horn. I was going to say, you and I are both from Chicago. How is it worse than driving through Austin? I mean, yeah. Not Austin, Texas. Austin, Chicago. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's totally. It's that's fine. totally fair. It's fine. Yeah. You'd be yeah, all right. I, I guess so. I mean, we. I don't condone people to do. I mean, or whatever. No, like, <laughs> like look, if you're from like Portland, don't do it. It's not for you. But if you're from Chicago, like it's fine. It's all right. Yeah. Just bring. Bring your gear. Your you know what? Gear. You already know your strap. It's fine. <laughs> Just go. Just be sure to declare it at the border. But our, envi- our environment around us is totally different, right? The yes. network is there. The range differences are now significantly drastic, right? You know, we're talking about a hundred plus more miles than what we've previously been able to do. 
So it's just, it's a lot less of a situation, but the questions are still the same, right? So they are. So you're going to like this. This is a good segue. This is where you go. Oh, he's a professional interviewer and I'm, I'm on board with this. <laughs> so we do live in a different world. We do not have to traffic in myth and legend and anecdote, right? We have data and you talk about the questions we've been asking since day one. And the day one question that has always irked me the most is, how much is it going to cost to replace a battery? Yes. What's it going to cost to replace an electric motor? Now, these people, they do not go and buy a Honda Accord and ask how much it's going to cost to replace the transmission. They right. do not go and buy a Chevy Silverado and ask how much it's going to cost to replace the you know, V8 engine. But they want to ask that question about the EVs. Fair enough. Now, the reason you are here, the whole point of this conversation is that if anyone on this earth has enough data and enough real world experience to be able to tell the listeners of this show how long EVs last, how long the batteries last, and how much it costs to replace them, it is you, my friend. So talk to us about this and be sure to illustrate why you're that guy. Yeah. So going back to the original question of what does Accelerate Auto do, right? So we do leasing and financing, but we also create Xcare, which is the first uh, in bespoke designed EV war extended warranty that to extend your coverage, not just from the, the factory limited warranty for all of the different components around the car for the first four or five years, but also the battery and the drive unit warranty extension, right? And like that was a big focus for us to launch this past year while we launched Xcare a few years ago. It's been about five years now. Almost. So let's talk about battery costs. And I, and, and I do think that this is, and the reason why people ask this is because we have, we use batteries in all different types of consumer application products. And we, that is the first thing to degrade over time, right? I have to, I have to charge my MacBook two times a day when I first got it. It's like, it was good for a couple of days, right? Or my phone dies on me so quickly now, and I've had it for a few years, right? So it's top of mind. What else are you using an internal combustion engine for other than your car? Most people are just using it for their vehicle, right? So I understand that you don't question. have a gas powered blender, right? I don't, yeah, I don't have a gas powered blender. So, but so I understand the question. Now let's talk about the answer, right? Let's be, and let's be honest here. In 2012, let's start where, let's go back to where we started. In 2012, let's, uh, which is the first map, well, I guess the Nissan Leaf was the first mass produced EV, but the Leaf had different types of technology. Battery degradation was incredibly high because there was no heating and cooling, or there was heating, there was no cooling system and no HVAC system for the battery. So if you lived in Texas or Arizona where it was really hot, it beat down on that battery. So within a couple of years, you saw heavy amounts of degradation. Luckily, since the Leaf and I think the Eagle, I believe are the only two EVs, modern day EVs that don't have HVAC systems on the batteries. Every other electric vehicle does. So if you're if you're listening, you're like, well, I wonder if the car that I have or I'm looking at has an HVAC. If it's not those two, it probably does because we've all learned this now. Degradation. I think you're for... missing the Mitsubishi Imiev. Oh, right. The but all 11 people I... who still own one of those. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Which yeah. The tires were smaller than your average donut. So the I, only I reason. No, the spare tire was, was taller. It was actually a bigger rim. <laughs> So oh, the only reason I remember the Imiev every time is because Jojo had one, friends. Oh, no way. You had one? Dude, that was one of my favorite cars. If you've ever said to yourself, I wonder what it's like to drive a go-kart 78 miles an hour on the streets of Chicago. 
not a go-kart, a golf cart. That's the one. Yep. That's all it was. It was a golf cart with doors. It was fantastic. I had a leaf. In fact, this is my leaf right here. <laughs> I I leased this 2013 leaf for $150 a month for two years. Oh, yeah. The cheapest thing. I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> Absolutely. I loved that car, right? I, lo- I loved that car. Now, granted, I couldn't afford a $100,000 Model S at the time, but I could afford $150 a month for that leaf. Now, that's right. right. Go, go back to battery, battery costs. In 2012, an 85 kilowatt hour battery for a Tesla costs anywhere between like 32 to $36,000. So oh. if you walked, if you walked into a Tesla location and you will, and, and assuming you spoke to someone who's knowledgeable now, they, they, the likelihood of them either, even knowing the answer was really low, but telling you the answer was very low because we knew that technology, as it ramps up, as we manufacture more, the cost goes down. Now we just didn't know at the time exactly how much, right? So, and all these batteries, at least for Tesla, is eight years. Some people, some manufacturers are 10 years. So at least you know you have eight or 10 years of warranty for these batteries in case something were to happen, it's on the house. But let's use that 85 kilowatt battery, when 265 miles in a charge. That same 85 kilowatt battery today would cost $12,000, not even 10 years later. Wow, so like a third of the cost. Yes. But now this is critically important because- Let's say that you in 2015 were interested in a Tesla and you said, how much does this battery cost? And you were able to find the answer and you found the answer of $36,000 out of sight, out of mind. It's rattling around in there. It's like that, you know, the, whatever that is at the bottom of the spray paint that rattles around. We don't know, but it's in there. Somebody asks you in 2020, Hey, how much does it cost? You know, I'm thinking about buying a Tesla, but I can't figure out how much it costs to replace the battery. You're going to go, Oh, I know the answer to this. I knew a guy at Tesla and he told me it was $36,000, $32,000. Well, not only is that information old and outdated, but it doesn't reflect common sense. And we have seen plasma screen, you know, 4K TVs go from eight or $10,000 to $199 on Black Friday. We've seen personal computers go from things that took up half of your living room and had, you know, 36 megs of Ram. And now you have a terabyte of information in your pocket and it's, you know, 1999 a month or whatever it is, or it's $500. We have seen that technological progress time and time and time again as consumers. But the assumption is that this one piece of technology has remained in stasis for the last 15 years. And it just couldn't be further from the truth. Well, and also people don't look at vehicles as technology, even though they, even though these types of vehicles are, because we are, we are not, we are, we don't, we're not used to that. We are used to vehicles being mechanically driven and, you know, and like, for instance, it went the other way around. It went from being very, very, if you're say, if you're say 40 or 50 plus years old, you remember a time where vehicles were $4,000, $7,000 brand new. And now the average new car is over $30,000, right? So $48,000. Is it really $48,000? $48,000 is the average transaction price. And as of last year, the Mitsubishi Mirage was the least expensive new car you could get in the United States. And it's $20,080. So there are no there you new vehicles that you, there's zero vehicles you can buy today with a starting MSRP under 20 grand. That's wild, right? But That's if wild. you're, you know, if you're in your mid to upper fifties, you probably remember a time where vehicles were 
less than $2,000, depending on if you'd like to get a Chevy Nova or something like that. So, Absolutely. You know, so, you know, we are not accustomed to thinking that, oh, vehicles are now technologically driven. And which also means that the obsolescence cycle of technology is, is significantly higher, right? So things are improving a lot faster. They're going into our, and it's, it's more resembling like consumer electronics, like you just like you define like a cell phone or computers, right? Battery technology evolves over time. Like what most people don't understand is, hey, the batteries in a normal electric vehicle today are not the same batteries that we've been using in hybrids. Totally different, different battery technology. That's right. right. Different and chemistry, of, different, different materials. Chemistry. Nickel metal hydride to lithium ion, right? And the and the first lithium ion batteries that we're using are no longer the same ones that we're using now, right? So going back to the example, an 85 kilowatt battery costs more in 2012 than, and I'll just use eight, an eight year span before the first, that 2012 warranty expired. In 2020, a hundred kilowatt battery costs less than half the cost of an 85 kilowatt battery did in 2012 and it weighed less. So it went further, it weighed less and it was cheaper while that first battery was still under warranty. So the big question, so let's say you own a three or one where you're not a hundred thousand dollar car owner, right? You're more a normal person that really maybe stretched to buy a used model three or a used model Y, which are customers we see all the time trying to buy X care, right? Because you buy a two or three year old model three or model Y. These are the things you're thinking about, right? Yes. Well, you know, one of those batteries brand new is Sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars today, but where is that going to be in eight years, right? And so let's look at the trend. Well, it started at thirty-six. Now it's twelve. Well, the starting point here is seventeen. Where is that going to be in eight years? Yeah. And and now and we're talking a different type of manufacturing scale as well, right? Where in two from two thousand twelve to two thousand twenty, we're not making the jump that we were today in the next eight to ten years from now where now all the other manufacturers are jumping on board. So supply chain is now available everywhere where it wasn't necessarily like that from 2012 to 2020. So we're now entering a whole different scenario. And then battery recycling. I think this is another big one. I was talking to a, uh, to a friend of mine, like I said, in, in Michigan, not that, that not that long ago. And he goes, you know, I just don't understand. This is on the headlines. So I think right. this will relate to a lot of people is, well, where are all these batteries going to go when they're all crapped out, right? It's, just, it's, tor- it's terrible for the environment, which... You know, the people saying this are not very environmentally conscious in the first place. So it's kind of strange to even hear that. But it's like, where are all these batteries going to go? It's terrible for the environment. It's just creating more waste. And then my very simple answer was, well, have you heard of a company like Redwood Materials or Mitra Kemp or like these types of companies out there? My buddy Tony Mitchell over at Recyclico. Let's plug those. Nice. Recyclico. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm familiar with them. Right. So what what these companies are essentially doing, and this is we're in the very early stage of this, but they're gaining a lot of steam here is they're taking these old batteries and not just the ones from cars, from cell phones, from computers, right? Literally any battery. Such a good point. Right? Breaking it down to the metals because the metal doesn't deteriorate, just the anodes and the cathodes are just less, the, the, the charge deteriorates over time, right? But the metal consistency is still there. They break down the metal componentry of these battery packs. They essentially re-energize them quote unquote right it's just re-energize the anodes and cathodes and then put them back into circulation to make more batteries so there will be a time where we're going to have more used vehicles in circulation than new cars especially evs where we're going to close the loop yes mining is not going to be a thing anymore and right. from my point of view being one of the creators of xcare and, and and owning this warranty that now thousands of people have is that the cost once we close the loop 
is going to be pennies to the current day dollar, which was pennies to the previous dollar. Yes. So we're the on the scale of scalability, right? And in the realm of scale, we're just now cutting the surface of where this is going to be in, I think, in less than a decade. I think in the next five to eight years, we're going to be close to seeing that 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 now circle of battery manufacturing and recyclability is going to start closing in. Yeah, you're already seeing it in some aspects of this where you're seeing some of the ECMs and ECUs that are coming right. out of the used vehicles. They're coming out of the scrapyards. Their motherboards are being melted down and those things on the tech side. But you're absolutely right. That's exactly what's going to happen. So that level of recycling and closing that loop is going to make a lot of the concerns about mining and about longevity go away. But even today, someone buying a three-year-old or a five-year-old EV, we have seen, whether it's through you know these taxi companies in Canada and New York, like uh, Ravel have been, have been running these, right. tax, these Tesla taxis for a while, we're seeing hundreds of thousands of miles yes. reliably on these existing batteries. So even though we're talking about this circularity of this, and we're talking about that being a, something that's going to drive down costs in the future, I think all of that is accurate. But when you start talking about something that's five or eight years down the road, we start getting into the realm of policy where you see like by 2030, 2035, there's states, municipalities, even whole countries that are going to start banning internal combustion. Now, Connecticut last week, the governor of Connecticut said, we are no longer planning on enforcing the 2035 internal combustion ban. And the reason he gave for that was really interesting. I was originally up in arms. I just read the headlines. I didn't read the whole article and I became very agitated as I do. It's very on brand for me to take things negatively <laughs> and become, begin ranting and raving. My comment on that or his comment on that rather was we're not going to have to because there's not going to be any other choice because as these things start to come online, as recycling comes online, as the pace of innovation ramps up, as more manufacturing and supply line comes in, the value that is going to be delivered by EVs is going to make internal combustion the obviously wrong investment. And you're right. not going to be able to convince middle America, middle-class Americans to put 50 or 60 grand into an internal combustion car that by the time they are ready to trade in and sell is going to be a white elephant that nobody wants. Right. And they're still going to like, yeah, abs absolutely. And I, I, I have always believed that these deadlines, uh, which I think, you know, just to stay on topic with what naysayers kind of, focus on these deadlines where the government's forcing us to do all this and they're, they're kind of pushing it down our throats in a way. You know, a lot of that was, uh, in my opinion, when I first heard all this, this is all aspiration, right? Yes. It's, it, it was always kind of aspirational. It was a, a sense of like, okay, this is like a vision of what we're trying to achieve. We're setting a goal that we want to achieve by, but ultimately if it doesn't get there, it doesn't get there. Right. But I, but you know, what I think is like, yeah, we have seen batteries and electric vehicles going for hundreds of thousands of miles. And 
degradation is not really big of a, a, a big issue at all from what we've now uh, we've now kind of discovered you can drive we have we have data two three hundred thousand miles on cars that are on the same original battery pack that are still retaining 90 percent 88 percent yeah. of the original range like dude that's better than driving two three hundred thousand dollars three hundred thousand miles on your gas car i mean think about the efficiency loss and the heat, you know, like your car's not yeah, not containing heat well enough. So your mild, your MPGs uh, kind of decrease. So a lot of that kind of changes over time, right? So with EVs, we're not seeing a huge issue there. We are not seeing battery failures left and right either. I think that's really important for most people to understand. Although we are in the business of providing kind of that peace of mind, just in case things do happen, you're not having to break the bank or salvage your vehicle in a way because you can't afford it right? But we don't sell based on fear either, right? These batteries are not failing left and right. It's not something we're seeing frequently. It's a very, it's more rare than anything else. But obviously, that's still there in people's minds, right? And it's still kind of a concern. However, I don't think it's as validated. I think the exposure of when things do go wrong is significantly higher than the things that you hear whenever nothing goes wrong at all, because obviously, you don't ever hear nothing going wrong because that's not entertaining you're not going to click on that article right (laughs) (laughs) news of the week top story tonight nothing happened everything went everything went according to plan right (laughs) day after day year after year everything is golden yeah (laughs) Yeah. well milan i think we'll just wrap it up there i think this has been a great episode i think we've addressed a lot of the most common questions the only one we didn't get to was I was actually, let's do this now as a closer, right? So okay. I, even though I run a show called EV Obsession, even though I am a senior editor at Clean Technica and one of the founding fathers who's been here since 2008, even though all of those things are true, I am still a plug-in hybrid owner. I still have not cut the cord. Now I have reasons for that that are not based on EV range or fear anxiety. My reason for that is solely this. When I bought my XC90 Volvo, I the only other seven-seat EV plug-in vehicle on the market was a Model X. Right. And my wife took one look at those doors and said, well, that's not going to open in our garage, and said no. Is your garage low or small or narrow? Oh, I'm in Oak Park. It's like an 1896. This thing, it's like a carriage house. It's it's built for a Model T. It is. It literally is. It, it, this garage was built in, I think the our garage was built in uh, 1919. It was built for a Model okay. T. Yeah, I, yeah. I literally, that's pretty cool. I literally cannot open the doors in the garage. We got it home. The doors won't go up. It's not a, it, it's not a thing. She said that that's it. So, you know, and then the, the implication that she was supposed to get in the vehicle, drive out of the garage, then open the doors for the kid. That right. was a no go. But The world has changed since then. We'll have that discussion separately. But if you talk to someone who says, well, I don't think EVs are ready yet. I don't think the infrastructure is there yet. And they say, I'm going to get a hybrid unless you can convince me otherwise. What is your go-to convincer? What's your closer? Well, I don't think it, I, I don't think, I don't think it's generalized. I think it's specific to every use case. So what I normally, how I would normally, where my head immediately went 
was I would actually start asking you a lot of questions about how you use your cars and what do you do, right? I want it to be more personal. I, I do think that it comes down to what you use a car for. And, I, and I'll and i be the first to say, although I'm a big EV proponent, I'm the first to tell people that if it doesn't fit for them, it doesn't fit for you, right? Yeah. And I think that honesty really keeps the door open for them because they feel like no one, that's this guy wasn't, I was didn't lie to me. So therefore, whenever I'm still considering it, Whenever it does come time, maybe I'll call that person again. But I mean, ultimately, I would say I do it every single day, right? And I've been doing it for years and in all different types of situations and brutal winters in Chicago with no home charging. And at a time when a lot of this stuff was like experimental <laughs> in, a, in a lot of ways, and it's worked out better than normal. And, and what I would say for all of those EV uh, or those automotive nuts out there, like myself, who are scared that they're the love of what they have and passion of what they have is going to go away. People still ride horses today. That's, That's right. not gone. Right. I'll, I'll take it a step further. I think if you remove, and I, I believe this in my heart, I think taking horses away from the mainstream led to better horses. If yes. you are a horse person it's for enthusiasts now, now it's an enthusiast driven thing. They're bred for enthusiast reasons. Right. They're not I'm bred not. to be working animals. Right. So imagine, imagine in a future where right now we have like seven or eight cars that are still that are that come in a, a manual variation in the future where EVs are more the norm and gasoline powered vehicles are really just for enthusiasts. We're going to get a lot more of the things that we ask. For. It's yes. not it's not going it's going to be things that really touch the soul of what we're trying to to grab, not not things that we absolutely need on a daily basis or not even things that are pure performance driven, things that are just purely pleasurable things that we're not using every day, but things that we can still be happy with. Right. And Jay Leno says this a lot. I, I firmly believe that. I think the rise of EVs actually puts automotive enthusiasts in a better situation with absolutely. better cars to choose from. I truly believe that. Right. And if you want to keep your EV for four, five, eight, ten 10 years, talk to Milad, get his extended warranty. Make sure that uh, there's nothing that's going to go sideways and ruin that experience for you. Save your money for that uh, internal combustion Corvette that you want to buy. Yeah, like me. I drive a Corvette and a Model S. Model S is a daily driver. Corvette's my fun, fun car. I converted to a Nissan GTR back in 2010 and I never looked back. <laughs> nice. I have a C8 Corvette now. So I went mid-engine. So that's wonderful. Uh... <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening to this. And uh, yeah, be sure to tune in for the next episode. We're going to talk about whether or not EVs and uh, leasing are going to make sense as a company purchase, and uh, we'll take it from there. Thanks so much, Milad. Thanks, Joe. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thank you.